You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. A leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Socolo, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is Janine Lisitsky, the Executive Director of Women Against Abuse, a Philadelphia-based nonprofit that seeks to put an end to domestic violence. Janine, welcome to the show. Thank you, Laura. Great to be here with you today. Now, tell us about Women Against Abuse. What exactly is it? Women Against Abuse is one of the largest domestic violence service provider and advocacy organizations here in Pennsylvania. And we specialize in safe housing, legal assistance, crisis counseling to support survivors of domestic violence and their children. But in addition to that, we work with the community to educate and equip them to intervene into domestic violence. Because one thing that we know is that we will only see such a small fraction of people experiencing intimate partner violence, but the community at large will see many of them. So we equip the community to intervene. And we serve about 11,500 per year in our work. And we also work to change public policy as well in support of putting an end to domestic violence. So important. So important. And you have how many sites now as far as shelters for women? We have two 100 bed safe havens. Plus Mm -hmm. we have a transitional housing campus and we also have scattered site housing with supports that we operate. In addition, we have, I believe, one of the largest legal centers in the country, specifically for survivors of domestic violence, with about 15 attorneys that provide support to get protection from abuse orders, custody, and support cases. That's great. I mean, it's terrible that it's necessary, but it's great that you provide such an important service. Now, in your role as executive director, what are your main responsibilities and who do you need to influence in that role? I feel like everyone, but specifically, of course, my staff and board are supporters and, you know, funders, city officials, so government officials at all different levels, certainly legislators, and to a degree, the general public, because we do a lot around changing social norms, too. For example, we have our I Pledge Community Awareness Campaign, and so we're really targeting multiple constituencies in this work. Right. And, you know, the events like the I Pledge, you know, we've I've had the honor of being able to help you with that and work with the team once in a while on the pledge. And I think the community outreach is so hard to be just out in the public square and talking to people and getting people to understand what's going on. And I just really admire the tenacity that it takes to be there and and engaging with people one on one that way. Yes. And certainly, you know, it underscores that it really does take the whole community to be part of this mission if we're going to change things in the long term. I think that seems to be a common thread nowadays with people 
it's hard for many people to consider issues that they don't see as part of their own life as being something that they are still responsible for contributing to changing. Absolutely. And when you think about domestic violence, a Gloria Steinem referred to it as original violence. And Mm. that's very compelling to think about what are the roots of violence. And certainly we learn how to interact in our home of origin. So we need to pay more attention to that. There is research that has links to intimate partner violence and family violence and then violence in the community, some to even like mass murder and different phenomenon like that. So it's one of the issues along with poverty, you know, that we really need to pay attention to the entire society. Right. And in order to do that, what are some of the biggest communication challenges that you and the organization are facing today? I think in the pandemic, it's a different type of communication, being virtual, not having in-person interaction. So we've had to be more intensive on communicating in different modes. So, you know, video conference, email, telephone calls. And in the virtual format, it's harder to pick up all of the nonverbals. And to some degree, you're left with some uncertainty around, you know, those connections. So. I think we've had to work a lot harder to have more touch points with people, including our staff. And we brought up something we call the town hall, which was a different type of format than we used to have. We had staff meetings, but this was more like a town hall where we gave a lot of information and had Q&A time. And that's been helpful. Everybody has had to contend with the pandemic and the whole social distancing and video-based everything nowadays. And to the extent that most types of events, people have figured out a way around. I don't think that things like I Pledge, where you've been literally in in the center of town speaking with loudspeakers and and, uh, formal events, speaking to crowds to get people to sign pledges as they walk by there, which is so crucial that those kinds of personal commitments, when you can't be there and engaging people face-to-face, where there's no foot traffic, there's no passersby, how have you managed to adapt your outreach to those who otherwise would be the passersby? We've done a lot more on social media. Mm. And with the iPledge, it was virtual, but we did have a lot of people attend, kind of equivalent to the number that would have been there in person. But one thing that we did this year is we let people sign up to get free decals sent to their home that have the Philadelphia domestic violence hotline number on it that they can put in your window. So you know where you put something in your window saying there's a child here for fires and such. Well, this is like a window decal so that the neighborhood where they live understands that there's help available, you know, for domestic violence support. So we asked people to do that. And that was a great way to get them engaged even from afar. So smart. So smart. Now, in order to get to the executive director role and be successful there, obviously, for the organization, what specific communication skills did you personally have to develop? I think first and foremost was really listening. That's where the most power lies in gleaning all of the data that different constituents have that I need to put together that puzzle, you know, to figure out strategy and direction. That was one. Another was being comfortable with repeating myself. So, you know, I'll have to say the same things over and over, not because people didn't hear, but because 
they need the reminder as a way of navigating, you know, which direction are we going in? Yeah. I think I came more from the headspace of wanting to solve problems and do research and learn. And then once we learn, we should move forward versus let's camp out there for a while. So everyone understands, not only understands, but can articulate and be an ambassador themselves. And that only comes through uh, repetition. Yes. Yes. Uh, much like parenting in some ways, the, the need for repetition over and over to get the message through. But kidding aside, it is it's so important to make sure that you're constantly beating those drums of those core messages to have it be internalized for such a the widespread audience in these kinds of points. What's a mistake that you made or a lesson that you had to learn the hard way in the process? I think similar to what I was saying, I would you know, see the problems, find solutions, and want to move very quickly on to the next thing because it seemed like there was such a vast amount to do early on when I came to Women Against Abuse about 11 and a half years ago. So early on, I took a look at the organizational structure with some expert consultants and also like the executive team. And we came up with a new structure that would build capacity in certain areas like property management and compliance, and then hone capacity in service provision. And we basically decided it and then rolled it out, like, Mm. and then communicated it en masse. But what we missed is sitting down with middle management and to some degree, some of the team members, you know, individually or in small groups, just to start to talk about it, to hear what their thoughts were, you know, to factor that into the final communication. Because I think what happened is we communicated it and people just were shocked, you know, Mm -hmm. ultimately they thought it was a good idea ultimately, but it took a while to get there. And I think it undermined trust in people as well. And then we weren't certain of the different communication points that we should hone on when we launched it because we hadn't listened enough. So if you could go back and do it over again, what would you have done? What would the sequence or what would the steps have been? I would have still done those early things we did and come to a kind of an idea of the direction, but then I would have had small meetings with the staff impacted to talk about what we were thinking about and let them know it is our final decision, but we want to hear from you. And what are some of your concerns? I would have gotten the concerns because in that I could have spoken to that more in the communication, you know, in sharing that. Sure. Allaying the fears before they have a chance to fester. Absolutely. And two, there's certain people that really should have like an insider view to what's going to happen and should be fully heard and feel you know, part of that leadership team who weren't. And that was really undermined people's sense of empowerment and autonomy. And again, it wasn't out of any meaning to undercut that, but it was more out of a burning desire to achieve a mission and running very fast, you know, not factoring in the time needed for adequate communication and all those steps. We make those kinds of mistakes all the time with good intentions, trying to be efficient, trying to be this or trying to be that and not realizing that you run over people or run over opportunities in the process. And sometimes speed is not not necessarily the end all be all factor to go by. 
as far as completing these kinds of issues. Absolutely. Especially when you have such a complex mission as women against abuse working towards ending domestic violence, it really does require you to build leadership in your full team. And so you can never spend too much time on doing that. Well, and I think you hit on something really important earlier, which was trust. And in any organization, trust is critical in a team, especially with a new leader, a new executive director or CEO. If they're coming from outside the organization rather than rising through the ranks, you don't have, you haven't built the trust yet with your team. So you're starting from scratch. And especially in an organization like Women Against Abuse, where one of the biggest issues is that the people you serve have lost trust in others, need to feel safe and trust is such an important part of the need to restore that personal sense of safety and integrity and, and whatnot. So it's it's also integrated for you more than anybody else, I would think. Absolutely. I mean, I think of Gandhi's quote is, be the change you want to see. And that's true. I mean, that's why at Women Against Abuse, we undertook becoming a trauma-informed organization because we recognize that, that in working in trauma, the whole organization needs to be trauma-informed. And what that means is to create safety, you know, first and foremost. And safety doesn't mean comfort, yeah, but it means, you know, moral safety, social safety, those types of things. Yes. Then what's the next big goal for you, whether personally or for the organization? And what communication skills will you need to develop to achieve it? For Women Against Abuse, one of the things we've been undertaking for a handful of years, but now are really doing deep work on, is racial equity work Mm. internally. And we're doing a race equity audit of our organization where we brought up a task force of staff that are majority people of color, and we're giving them a stipend to work on it during their regular hours. But they're analyzing all different types of things at Women Against Abuse and coming up with themes that emerge as where we still need to work on in terms of race equity. So I think that work, again, when I go back, how did we start it? It was conversations and it was trust building. That was the work of it. We called it courageous conversations. And so now we've grown to a place where we're actually taking steps, you know, where we're making changes. And that communication is complicated because there's conflict in it. You know, there's a massive amount of trust needed. So I think that's something you never arrive there. You never arrive there at perfect trust and, you know, at perfectly dealing with conflict. So I think we'll constantly be evolving in those areas as we live out our work to become an anti-racist organization. Can you think, I'm curious off the top of your head, is there an example of language either in policy or in marketing materials or in something that did not have the balance of equity or, or was framed in a way that would resonate more with one group than another that this task force has sort of helped you to identify? Because it's such an important issue. Everybody's talking more and more about trying to find that racial equity balance and how language is not equitable necessarily in the way that it's used. I'd love to hear an example. Well, some of our policies like on grievances and how staff can bring forward a grievance or a concern really didn't give any way for them to feel safe, you know, like they would have to go to their supervisor or HR. So there wasn't any middle ground. So I guess it was about conflict resolution when things may have 
they may have experienced like a microaggression. Okay. Well, what do they do with that? You know, now we have a racial justice committee. We have a DEI liaison. So we have other places now that people can bring those concerns. But the way our policies were, I mean, it basically squelched those issues from ever being raised because Mm -hmm. they weren't set up in a way that was safe enough to bring that forward. Interesting. I think that that's one example. But there's so when you start looking, there's so much that what you realize is that, yes, we're America. We're a white dominant culture. That's how we started, you know. And those things have reverberated through our culture and through our social policies and, of course, institutions that are part and parcel of society. So we have a lot of looking and undoing to do. Even at Women Against Abuse, an example is we have our legal center. So for the most part, the interventions are Well, you work with the police and you work with the courts. But if the police haven't been a safe place for people, what is the alternative? Mm. So there's a lot of even program implications. What could we do differently um, that we're working through now? That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Now, this brings us to the listener 24-hour influence challenge. So given everything we've discussed so far, this is your chance, Janine, to speak directly to the audience and to challenge them to take one step that they can complete within 24 hours to have more influence. How would you like to challenge our listeners today? I would say take one of your projects that you're working on now or an initiative that's going to come to fruition and map it out. Like, first of all, have you talked to all the key people? Who would they be? Which groups? What mode of communication would you use? Who needs to deliver that message and who should be involved? And what is the sequence to it? Because, you know, you have a sequence thinking about who needs to know and when, before whom, you know, all these things. So map it out and use that as a guide instead of just thinking, well, it's simple, you know, I'll communicate it. Think about all those complexities and nuances, and I bet you're going to come to a better conclusion with your communication. And for people who may not be leading a project, two things. If you get an invitation for public speaking, take it, even (sighs) if you feel uncomfortable doing it. I mean, that's what I did early on 20 years ago. I was um, fearful of public speaking, not on an intellectual level, but you know, physically, I'd be fearful. So what I did one day is said, I'm going to accept every invitation I get. And the next one I got was for a keynote in front of a thousand people. Oh my gosh. And I took it and, you know, it was definitely helped so much to build confidence and for me to get more experience. And, you know, now I would say I'm not nervous about public speaking. I wouldn't say it's one of my greatest skills, but I feel calm about it. And I realize I have something to say that people need to hear and that they don't know. So it's really important that I take myself out of it and get that message across to people. Yes, that's awesome. All right. So whether or not you have two options there for you who may have opportunities to do public speaking, if you don't normally like it, just say yes, that's your first step. And otherwise, if you're running a project, large or small, right? It doesn't have to be an entire organizational initiative. It could be just an idea that you want to float past your manager or past your team or uh, different ideas, but map it out first. So the step to take the 24-hour influence challenge is to just 
draw the map, right? Yes. Awesome. All right. This brings us then to looking at how you lead others in your role. Let's talk for a minute about executive presence, otherwise known as leadership presence or command presence. How do you know it when you see it? What do you look for? People who can give the vision without taking you down so many trails of detail that they lose you. So first being able to lay out that top of the waves vision, Mm -hmm. but also people who listen, because if they're listening, I know that they're a person who's gathering all the data out there to make the best decision. Right. Those are two of the things I look for. Terrific. And what about when you're looking to hire or to promote someone to a leadership role? What are some of the most important communication skills you look for? And on the flip side, what's a red flag that would derail that opportunity for that person? I think one of the things I look for is strategic and innovative thinking Mm -hmm. and problem solving. So someone who can really push through, you know, those things. And somebody with some vision who can, again, lay out a compelling vision so people know, well, what is it that we're doing and why? Why is this important? In terms of derailing, I would say like a lack of energy and enthusiasm would be a red flag for me on Mm. promoting somebody. Sure, especially in an organization like yours, if people aren't passionate about what they're doing and why, it's almost like, why bother? Because it's all about inspiring others and getting people on board to continue to support the the mission. I mean, am I on base on this? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, we constantly have to be sharing what we've learned and what we know and what the way forward is so that People are on board. And especially when you think of like legislators, they have hundreds, if not thousands of issues. So if you're not constantly sharing, it's going to get lost in all of those issues. So we are educators and ambassadors towards ending domestic violence. Yes, yes. Passion is is critical. And I like that notion of being an ambassador of whatever you represent. And really, regardless of your role, regardless of your company, your organization, you are an ambassador of your department. You're an ambassador of your brand. You're an ambassador for, for so many different things. And I think when you look at your role from that lens, it should change the way you approach your engagements with others, no? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you're what you're doing all the time is you're stewarding and nurturing your mission. You know, that's what you do. That's the whole purpose of the organization is to achieve that. So, and we need to have so many people on board to do it. Yes. Now let's talk for a minute about managing up. Tell me a time when someone from your group pitched an idea to you and it just did not resonate right. What should they have done differently? Or just in general, you know, when your team brings ideas to you, what do you wish they would do more or less of? I think the thing I really wish they would do more of is really think it through all the way. You know, they'll come to me with a really like half-baked idea. Not that it's a bad idea, but there's so many questions that it's not at a point where I can really make a decision, you know, or give them the feedback they need if there's more data to gather. Recently, something came up with an event because we're going to be doing a virtual event. Mm -hmm in 2021 and the person brought it, but hadn't done an analysis of like the revenue, the net revenue. So, you know, I wasn't even sure, well, we have all these expenses for it, but how much can we raise, you know, also 
the technology needed, reaching out and getting some comps from other orgs, different things that would have given us more data to make a decision. So, but I mean, it turned, it all turned out great. You know, it's not that anyone is not doing a good job, but. No, uh, you have an amazing team, but that, you know, if somebody brings you an idea, that's not, that's not fully cooked yet. You send it back and say, put it back in the oven. Yes. (laughs) That's what I did. And they rose to that. And I think just, it's positive too, because people view me as a partner and a collaborator, you know, and a sounding board. And that's a great thing that we can work together that way. Yes. And certainly I work with my team that way. I may have things that aren't ready for prime time yet that I'll bring to them and and work it through. Yes. All right. Well, now we are at the speed round. So these are a couple of issues that regularly arise in my coaching and training engagements with clients. And people tend to think of them as black and white, either or choices. But I think we really know that they're not. So I'm going to ask you first to choose the black or white, and then we'll go a little bit deeper to see where those shades of gray are. So number one, and you've touched on this previously, but I'm going to ask it anyway, public speaking, love it or hate it? Used to hate it. Now I'm good with it. I wouldn't say I love it, but I used to hate it. And part of it is because I'm an introvert. So whatever stimuli I see in the audience or anywhere, I think about it and I take, you know, it causes me to pause and think. And when you're doing public speaking, you can't do that. You really have to stay with the theme and the plan. And uh, there's not a lot of time for thinking. Well, certainly not for distraction, not for the kinds of thinking that's going to get you off track of what you need to be talking about. Yes. So then what's a tip for people who need to make that leap? Maybe you're not ready to jump in front of a thousand people for a keynote, but when they do need to speak with confidence, but are nervous inside, what's one tip that they can follow to speak with more confidence? One thing is just to realize that you actually have something to say that people need to hear and don't know. So go there knowing that it's important for you to convey that. And people do want to hear it. So I think that's one thing. Yes. Then, and you referenced this previously also, introvert or extrovert, you've identified that you're an introvert. As an introvert, what's one of your innate strengths and what's an area for growth? Something you have to work on. Listening and learning is is an innate strength. Area for growth would be doing like more larger scale social networking you know, where there's hundreds or thousands of people like to really, I go to those events, but to push myself to go more whenever we can. Now we're, (laughs) now it's virtual, but yeah. It's funny. I've spoken with a lot of clients over the last few months who are otherwise introverts and who have generally not enjoyed the networking meetings and those kinds of things. And now because we've been sequestered for so long, it's like, I would kill to go to a networking meeting just to feel uncomfortable <laughs> in the middle of a group, <laughs> just yeah. to see other humans and, and not know how to talk to them, but be willing to figure it out. Like that's something they look yes. forward to now. So a funny little silver linings. <laughs> and now finally, what about handling conflict? Nobody likes it, but when faced with a potential conflict or a difficult conversation, perhaps, is your natural instinct, your DNA hardwiring to want to avoid it or want to dive in and address it head on? Address it head on and 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 immediately don't let any time go by. I want to address it. Sure. So then what have you learned about that tendency and how to navigate it in order to effectively manage conflict? Well, it can be overwhelming for people and it doesn't give them a minute to think about, you know, what we're going to talk about and to be prepared. So I've paused and 
what I'll do is put it on an agenda and then, you know, send that to people in advance. This is one of the things on the agenda I want to talk about just to give folks time and it works out a lot better. Sure. Give them a chance to think about things first and process what they do or don't want to bring up and allow them time to formulate those thoughts in a way that they feel like really represents what they want to say. Sound about right? Yes. Yeah, Yeah, it is. And it really goes back to trust building as well. You know, that people know I'm not going to come out of left field with something without preparing them. Yes. And there's the theme for this for this show is really about trust today. It's in the connection between good communication, clear, diplomatic, transparent, all that stuff, and the establishment of trust and leadership. I'm so glad you've been able to bring that out. So, all right, yeah, then- I have to say I've been so fortunate to work with people who are so expert in communication, one of which who I learned so much from about this very area is our chief of staff, Elise Sosha who does have a master's in strategic communication. So that was her area of expertise. And she has certainly brought that to Women Against Abuse and helped equip others uh, with that skill. That's great to have those people on the team who just are so inherently tuned into these kinds of elements. And she's, she's always been wonderful to work with. She and Katie and you and the whole team. So anybody out there, I'm actually going to give you an opportunity now, Janine, to tell everybody how to find out more about you and or women against abuse. How can they learn more? Yes. The best way is to go to our website at womenagainstabuse.org. That is, you know, we always keep that up to date. You can access the iPledge community awareness campaign virtually. You can also join our Take Action Center to help with reaching out to your legislators to support survivors of domestic violence. So we have an easy way for you to do that. People can sign up to get our newsletters and updates and information so they will know when our events are, especially when we announce our 2021 annual event, which will be coming up soon. And people can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and we have a YouTube channel as well. So there's many ways people can engage with Women Against Abuse. And if they want to contact me specifically, I'm at womenagainstabuse.org, and it's just Jay Lisitsky, L-I-S-I-T-S-K-I. And we'll have all that contact information and all the different links in the in the show notes as well. And, you know, I'm going to detour for one second, Janine. You know, we've mentioned I pledge a couple of times. Can you just give like a one sentence? What is that? Let people really understand the impact that they would be having to join and to sign the I pledge. I pledge is a way for everyone to be a ambassador towards working towards ending domestic violence. So they can go and take the pledge that says that not only will they not act in any form of violence in their home, but if they see it, that they will call it out either by, you know, calling for help or doing something, giving the hotline number to someone. There's different ways that people can be ambassadors and be support. Again, because we're never going to see all of the people that are experiencing family violence, but you will, you know, and the community will, a lot of people will. So how can we all intervene towards that larger goal of preventing domestic violence? And as a final wrap up, let's do a little public service announcement. What kind of invitation do you want to extend or what should people know if they are themselves suffering from 
from domestic violence or know someone who is? What can be done? Just for them to know that they're not in this alone, that 24-7, they can call the Philadelphia Domestic Violence Hotline and they will receive support. Even if they're not ready to leave, they just want to talk or to figure out how can they increase their safety where they are, that those folks are available all the time. And that's one 866 723-3014. Say that again, that last number? 1-866-723-3014. And again, we will put that in the show notes as well. So know if you're out there and this is a resource that you need or you know someone who does the services is out there for you. So Janine, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing this incredibly important message with, with our listeners. Thank you, Laura. It was great to be here with you. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe if you haven't done so already so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on iTunes so we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, if you want to download my quick start guide to mastering the three C's, command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for readers who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.